0: What's up, everybody? We're back with another episode of the Drag Zine Podcast. I'm your host, Senior Associate Editor, Brian Wagner. Joining me once again, Mike Galimi. Mike, what's going on?
1: Hey, Brian. How's it going, man? Just uh, happy to be here. Thanks for having me on. No problem, man. You're
0: like in like the three- or four-timer club at this point on the show. That's like being on Saturday Night Live multiple times. It's an
1: honor. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm always happy to talk with you and sit down and uh, discuss drag racing. You know that. Oh,
0: yeah. yeah. I, you know, it, it's, it's funny that you, I like bringing someone on, on, like you on the show because you are versed in all kinds of stuff. Because we'll have people that are just, you know, into one form of racing. But you and I are a lot alike that we pretty much like anything loud, fast, and dangerous.
1: Pretty much. Yeah, that's how it works. And I
0: think that's, uh, for me, that makes the sport more immersive and fun when I can pretty much, as long as at a racetrack, I'm happy, you know? Exactly. And it's uh it's nice to be somewhat back to normal ish to be able to actually go to races and not have to worry about you know Johnny Law showing up and shutting us down this year. Uh, that's yeah, I,
1: I, yeah, I think uh, you know the last uh, fourteen months ago, you know, we were definitely in a in a unique time uh, in our lives and and obviously in business and our careers uh, with drag racing seemingly coming to a stop. But uh, but I, yeah, I would agree that we're 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 back uh, pretty solidly right now.
0: Yeah. And it's cool. You know, like when I went to the night under fire, you know, it it was like absolutely the most packed I've ever seen. Totally business as usual. People had a great time, had to take all the sharp objects away from Bill based on the issues that they had between a jet truck catching on fire and the power going out. But they, they powered through that and you wouldn't have known that they had any issues.
1: Uh, I mean, you know, those guys are professional, so I'm not surprised that uh, they rolled with it and, and still made the show happen.
0: Yeah, I've seen a lot of stuff at a racetrack, but I am now officially adding seeing a jet truck burning out of control as a new one. And uh, I can say I can go another day without seeing that happen again, because that's uh, that's kind of terrifying.
1: Yeah, you know, we've got a guy on staff who's, you know, 40 plus years in the business of drag racing, and still to this day, there there's something at least once or twice a year that He's never seen before, and uh, so yeah. I mean, it's it's just the sport that we're in, and uh, just expect the unexpected.
0: Yeah, yeah. Is there anything this year that's happened at a uh, NMR or NMCA race that kind of sticks out in your mind so far? Like, ah, oh, that's a new one. The jet truck is my the jet truck is my bar for this year. What's your <laughs> so far?
1: Uh, nothing as exciting as the jet truck, but uh, but yeah, you know, we have our 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 bumps in the road and uh, just how you work through them is, is, how you kind of push forward through it.
0: Yeah. The, the other thing I saw when I was up there was I saw a guy actually in a big tire car, let go of the button and something in the U joint area failed so spectacularly that it took the front of the case off. Plus it like, it looked like it had a wishbone style suspension under it. Cause there was bars for the wishbone hanging underneath the car when they were moving it. So that was another new one that I've, I've never seen that much. destruction before.
1: <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I, I think of how we closed out the 2020 season with, uh, Kevin McMullen's accident at, uh, at Bowling Green and, uh, you know, chalk that one up as to, you know, how did this happen? I mean, going back it you know, it, we kind of figured it all out. It kind of rode off a bar in the back, but, you know, for those who, who don't remember it, you know, he, people, left the starting line with a Coyote stock car, low 10 second car, gets up on the push bar on the back bumper and pirouettes over onto his side, slides down the track and then gets bumped up on top of the wall. Pretty bizarre. Uh, thankfully he's back racing this year and uh, you know the, the, it looked a whole lot worse than what it was.
0: That was a crazy incident because I was actually at that event wrenching on James Lawrence's car as we were te- tearing it apart for the umpteenth million time and i like we're like man something bad happened you know and scott the other crew guys you know go see how long you think the delay is going to be so i wander over to the track and i look and i get back and they're like so what's happening i'm like there's a car laying on the wall like it (laughs) rode it like a skateboard yeah i was like i I was like i think we got some time to get this get this done because it like you know, what's bad when all of like the track crews kind of stared at something, you, you know, you put the little like voice bubbles above them. they're all sitting there thinking, how are we going to fix this?
1: one?" <laughs> I, I remember walking up on the scene and, and Gene Bergstrom and, and Kurt Johnson are standing there, kind of like looking at it, you know, both of their wheels turning on, OK, how are we going to get this thing off the wall now? And I kind of look at them, look at the cars like, you know what, I'm just going to fade off into the bushes <laughs> over here and let these guys <laughs> handle this one. Yeah,
0: Mike's going. This is definitely not my wheelhouse. I'm just gonna <laughs> yeah. go over here and, cause yeah, that that's one of those deals. You know, it's bad when the track crew calls for a forklift, a front end loader, or a skid steer to pick up a vehicle.
1: Yeah, yeah, and and as many big straps as you can find. Yeah, yeah, exactly. (laughs) Get all the big straps
0: you can, get the skid steer and get a block and tackle. You know, the the guys on the starting line are probably the radios going, oh, this this doesn't sound like fun. (laughs) Now, with all that being said, you know, the drag racing world is constantly changing and evolving all the time. And kind of, we have the ability to, like I always say, to be in the catbird seat and kind of see all these changes and things that are going on. And you know, what are you know, let's say, what are the three biggest things that you see that are like the big big ticket items going on in the sport right now?
1: Um, I mean, there's a lot. There's always something going on, right? It's like life. Um, I think. You know, right out of the gate, something short term, you know, West Bucket alluded to it on his show a couple of weeks ago, but three amazing night of fires on the same weekend. You know, you had Norwalk, the one you were at US 131 had uh, had their northern nationals, which is the same concept, the booked in show top fuel and jet cars and whatnot. And uh, in, in Firebird Raceway in Idaho um they do their incredible you know nostalgia funny car and you know nitro show and all of that and all three were packed ready to rock and you know it shows the strength of the sport that it's not just the pro show of nhra that that can put nitro down the track and, and make a show out of it and i think a lot of other tracks are starting to look at it and say hey you know we can do the same thing as these guys and those are all legacy events but there's, you could see, you know, uh, Island Dragway had a, had, a, had a fantastic, you know, nostalgia funny car race, uh, you know, I think a month or two ago. And, and some of these smaller facilities are really jumping on and, and putting a, a great crowd in the stands with, with a booked in show.
0: Yeah, I 110% agree. And I think that tracks need to do more of these shows. They need to do more dog and pony shows. at a of discussion.
1: Right. And, you know, uh, there's an economic, uh, you know, impact on it. You know, there's a positive one, but you also have to put a lot of money up front. So I think for some of the smaller facilities, it may be a little more challenging. But I think uh, when done properly, uh, you know, the risk versus reward is fantastic for the, the track operator.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. I think that even if you did a, you know, a quick eight pro mod show with some top dragsters, and, you know, like I said, you just, you, you scale it to what you're able to do. People will come check that out. 110%.
1: Yeah. And the, these are traditional shows. I mean, this is not some new idea. This is not some new concept. You know, when English Town was running drag racing, you know, they would do three or four of these in a, a year, you know, funny car, spectacular, a jet, you know, jet cars under lights or something like that. I forget the names of them, but there would be a Wednesday night booked in show. You get there at, uh, you know, five or six and uh, by 10 o'clock you're headed home.
0: Yeah. Todd Martin talked about that on this show about that at Tulsa, they try to do one thing a month to bring a big crowd in different kind of shows to bring people. You can't do it every week because people can't afford it. But if you can get different groups of people in once a month, it builds that base for people to come back more often.
1: Yeah. And I think that's um, something that, that people who aren't involved in drag racing in terms of operations or promotion or whatnot, you know, don't understand that there can be such thing as too much drag racing, right? You need to balance your, your, your schedules at these, these facilities and have that, like you said, like that once a, once a month, big deal, which you don't want to fatigue your, your fan market. You also don't want to, you know, fatigue your bracket racers. If you have something great, you don't want to fatigue it and you need to have a, a great balance of events that hit different niches within the drag racing market.
0: Yeah, and you know, Milan. You know, thankfully, it looks like they're going to be opening back up at their Friday night series. They would do a Friday night race, and I was always shocked when we went up there for a Friday night show how many people would come out to watch that. And then you know they do the Saturday night series, or sometimes they do the Friday deal into the Grudge No Time stuff on a Saturday, and it's brilliant because the the Friday to Saturday deal like that two different crowds are going to show up.
1: Yeah, yeah, and you know Cecil County is a, a fantastic example of a great series that that a single track runs and you know over time has built a great following, has a great fan base. Um, you know, Yellow Bullet Nationals is essentially just a you know a massive explosion for their, you know, their streetcar drags that they do. You know, with you know it used to be outlaw and five, now it's the Pro 275 stuff and X275 and Ultra and you know all these great fantastic index categories.
0: So so what's another big thing that you kind of looking at your big board that you see going on in the world? Man,
1: I I think we'd be uh, ignorant not to mention, you know, the RPM Act and, you know, the the big step up that SEMA and PRI have made in the last, you know, six to eight months on that on that promotion and really the activity of EPA within our industry. Um, I know on the hardcore race side, we, we think we're immune to it, but uh, but the fact is that, that we're not. And we all have to come together as as a, an industry to help fight against overreach. And I think PRI and SEMA have done a great job as being the ringleaders to this program.
0: Yeah, totally. That's, again, something where it, it takes a lot of voices, I think, like good shouting, not, you know, terrible yeah. curse words, but like a very organized push to make that known. And I constantly post it on my social media anytime I see a call to action about it. I think we all need to do that to keep that rolling to make sure that our industry stays safe across the board.
1: And you know, SEMA makes it makes it really easy for you to contact your federal representatives. And uh, you know, they've they've got these tailored forms that you just basically have to input your personal information and it will contact the appropriate people with the appropriate letter the bill name and an explanation. And and they make it super easy, but they also give you the option of modifying that to put your own two cents in. And I want to say it was about 1.5 million letters have been sent into representatives in Washington, D.C. from around the country. And uh, that's just a a massive uptick uh, compared to where they were, you know, I think it was three years ago that I went down to D.C. as, you know, part of the rally. And, uh, you know, one of the one of the stuff we had, one of the items we had talked about was the RPM act, but I, I didn't have to push like it, like it does today.
0: It's amazing what can be done with technology and the way that they can parse all that down to, and, and make it easy. Like you said, yeah. you can, you can send an ad as, as you can modify it. And that's an extremely powerful tool for our industry.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And, and you know, we're very fortunate to have a, a group that gets it, understands it, you know, they're all you have a vested interest in, in seeing the industry continue to thrive and, and continue to have record years. And uh, I think the RPM Act is the first step in helping ensure that.
0: Absolutely. And, you know, what's, what's another thing that's kind of on your big board that you think's uh, big going on in the world of drag racing?
1: Well, I mean, I, I think it's, it's one of the topics you wanted to bring up, but without a doubt, you know, the no prep NHRA uh, radio banter that, that's been going on in the last week or so, um, I think that's, uh, you know, always fun, always, you know, interesting to see people's different comments and views on it. And, you know, I mean, you know, WWE has made a, you know, an empire out of people hating each other. So it's, uh, you know, to, to have, have an enemy, you know, across the side, it's, it's fun to see, you know, Stevie get involved. Um, you know, Stevie fast Jackson and, and a lot of the, the drivers on, on no prep Kings kind of fire back. And, uh, you know, I don't think it'll ever come to fruition, but, uh, you know, it would be fun to see Stevie jump into that world and, uh, really kind of take on those guys. And I think, uh, care for what you wish for type of thing. I think there was a bunch of NHRA pro mod racers who thought the same thing about Stevie, uh, you know, four or five years ago. And here he is with, uh, you know, two or three NHRA world championships, you know, behind his name. So <laughs> it would be fun.
0: It, it, that's a great transition to my next question.'ll we'll, we'll, we'll start out with the, the no prep side of things because that again, continues to grow and grow. I've been to several big no prep events and I've been to No Prep Kings. I've been to some smaller events and I am a fan, Not gonna lie. It's probably one of the most electric atmospheres I've ever been to in drag racing hands down. Like outside a night under fire, or maybe one of Donald's races when you know that the, the South Georgia is rocking, but you know at National Trail Raceway they put twelve thousand people in the seats there. Right. You know I've never seen that track that packed since the ADRL was giving away free tickets, and it's it's a different scene, it's a different demographic, but they are extremely passionate about no prep racing and honestly drag racing in general. I see nothing wrong with you know like you said a little bit of a uh, banter going on.
1: Yeah. And I I think, you know, above all the overarching story is that, you know, it goes back to, you know, all these tracks are having now another event that's going to be packed, you know, and great for their bottom line, you know, and at the end of the day, you know, they, they share drag racing and that's it. You know, one is a, you know, TV reality show and, you know, the other is a racing sanctioning body and they share some similarities, but you know, the two businesses are completely different, you know, so I think it's really hard to compare them, but, but, you know, these tracks, like you said, you know, Columbus, you know, National Trail Raceway, that, that's, that's a fantastic financial you know, opportunity for them. You know, and, you know, they were at Epping, New Hampshire, where they, there's a national event, and this. So now you have a, a second really great draw for your community um, and, uh, you know, that's, you know, your vendors, your, your sponsors, all of the stuff that these tracks rely on to survive this all benefits uh, those guys. And I think that's, that's a really good opportunity for facilities if they can get a no prep Kings race.
0: And even beyond no prep Kings, it's funny that I, I think people keep, it keeps getting lost in the mix that they think they equate no prep racing is nothing but no prep Kings. That's no farther from the truth. You know, you've got some of these mid to small size events, you know, a big event like a bounty hunters, out arm winter meltdown, the countless, you know, backwards track racing stuff that dig or die event that many bajinga and bill Lutz went to there's a lot of opportunities for these racers to come out to do these things and i think it ties back to you know stevie's thumping his chest a little bit yeah because he wants to get a no prep kings action go to one of these smaller races and you might get humbled in a hurley just as easy
1: well i mean i think it's you know it, you know i mean it's small tire racing right it's been going on since the 90s it just keeps reorganizing into different different styles of, you know, how you pull it off. And, and, you know, right now, especially in the small tire side, like you said, the dig or die where they had that hundred thousand, I think they're going to do a $250,000 race. I think there's another hundred or thousand later in the fall, but in any event, so the running the backside of the, of the drag strip, it, it's nothing new. I remember when at first, I mean, gosh, I mean, it was probably 15 years ago, 16 years ago, at least I remember seeing that happen. I, it, but like you said, just the, the attention on it, is gotten significantly greater and in small tire racing you know there's always that equalizer of traction right so that it, it, you kind of have the have and have nots you know you have an incredibly prepped track um or even the no prep kings which you know it's it's considered no prep but it's definitely better than the other side of the track and you know that limited traction does give that the little guy you know an opportunity to run with the bigger guys you know and and you know Manny like you said had gone down to that event. And, you know, you would think, okay, well, here's Manny, you know, you know, 420 car easy, you know, and he went out, I think uh, second round or first round. Um, so, you know, it does give the little guy an opportunity to, to, to do well. And when you have the little guy engaged, that's where your big numbers come from in the car count.
0: Yeah. It's, it's crazy. The amount of cars, even here again, you know, coming back to trails here locally, we see it, you know, they had a big, Backwards event that got unfortunately rained out. But at the same time, you have like Mary in a small local track that has a no-prep series that right. not only pulls in a lot of racers, it pulls in spectators. Little KD Dragway in Southern Ohio, the, the track that goes uphill. They had to close the gates down because there's too many people in there. You you cannot deny the popularity of that form of racing.
1: Yeah, no, and it's great. It's great that to see tracks recognizing that and uh, you know, and giving their 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 local crowd and opportunity to race in it.
0: And another thing that I was kind of going to dovetail into this was, you know, the, on the, more of the prep style thing, the streetcar type events. So, you know, like your streetcar takeovers and, you know, other events like that. I went to two streetcar takeover events this year and they were packed with not only fans, but racers. And it's interesting again, to see that you're starting to see that, that pendulum swing back to you more of the streetcar style events but you know this time around it's it's interesting to see oen cars showing up with drag radios laying down good passes and a lot of people showing up with them
1: i think it goes to, to say the market right so our, our biggest area of growth within nmra and nmca has been in true street and our in our hemi challenge and our hemi shootout and um you know it's just you have you have the oe's you know, their approach to drag racing over the last 10 years or has been positive for them, right? You know, you had drag car programs with the Corvette, Jet, Copo and Drag Pack and, you know, Hellcat and Demon. I mean, the Demon whole launch, I mean, there was, I, I want to say the statistics on the Demon launch was over a billion impressions on, you know, the fact it's a nine-second call. You know, they, they didn't say it ran Nürburgring in this time. They didn't say, you know, oh, we ran, you know, VIR this time on a road course, they use drag racing because you say, Hey, look, this car goes 965 with the, with the red key, you know, and, and, race gas. And, you know, like myself in New York, Oh, I know what 965 is. Someone in California. Oh yeah. 965. Totally get it. That's fast. You know, 808 horsepower. And I, and I think you look at how drag racing has been presented by the OEs over the last 10 years and that positive effect. And we're seeing that, right. They excited the market. they produced fantastic products. And that trickle down effect to the streetcar guy. Now we're seeing that on drag on drag strips, right? So their, their warranty is up. Maybe they paid off the car. Um, you know, that's why all of these aftermarket companies are just moving massive amounts of parts for the late model vehicles, because we've had this surge from the factories for it. I mean, you know, a, a performance packed Mustang goes 11s, you know, you put a supercharger on and you got a low 10 second car and, uh, so I, th- I, think, I think, you know, seeing all the streetcar stuff, it's a byproduct of what we've seen over the last decade that's been building and brewing, um, despite the fact that drag strips are going out of business, you know, fighting challenges that way, you know. Real estate market's so expensive, you know. So, yeah, I mean, it, it's hard for, for these tracks to stay open sometimes when they're looking at that money or retirement. But on the flip side, drag racing, I think, is as big as it's ever been, maybe bigger.
0: You know, it's funny you mention true street, classes and what you know nmca and nmra do you know you have the street king class you have the rumble class you have all these different classes and the hemi challenge and then what's funny is i see some of the same cars at these street car takeover events that i see at your guys's events so to me that shows that there's a lot like people just want to get out and race and when you give them what a, a good program, a good layout, they're going to come do it. And it, it's, I, I think that the, the streetcar stuff, you know, it's, I think you're going to see an explosion in growth, you know, even more in the next couple of years.
1: Sure. Sure. I mean, the, the cars become more affordable. Like you can go pick up a, you know, an, an 05 to 09 Mustang or 0 to or 2010 Mustang, you know, three valve car, you can pick those up pretty reasonable. You know, the secondhand market is, has always been a great driver in performance. Because you can go either pick it up as a second car or, or a younger person getting into the sport and hobby can afford to do it. You know, um, when I grew up, it was the Fox Mustang, but you can go, it was the pizza guy's car, right? Because pizza delivery guy could afford to buy a Fox Mustang, you know, and then, well, pizza guy can't go buy a Mustang anymore. But you know what, that, you know, that older, modern muscle car, you know, is affordable, you know, kind of that new generation, kind of that 05 Mustang really, or even the 03 Cobra, I think is really what launched it in that new style, you know, supercharged, you know, it doesn't need to be a drag car to be fast. And uh, yeah, it, it, you know, it's, it's playing out over the last 10 to 15 years and just keeps getting better. Yeah.
0: And it's, again, it's the opportunities and seeing, like you said, the Hemi challenge with what you guys do is totally like I, every time I go to one of your events, there's a gajillion cars. It seems like everything from like, you know, your, your local Hemi club guys showing up and just, making hits all the way up to guys that take it a little bit more seriously. And they, they bring some, some pretty gnarly hardware. And then you go to the street car takeover, you see a lot of the same cars, you see more heavily modified cars. You know, it's, it's really cool to see all of this kind of showing that that grassroots push is happening. And then what you, I bet if we, we put some, some pins in some of these guys, he said, you know what? I think this guy's going to try to go faster. Well, guess what? Another five, 10 years. They might be the next Manny Bajinga. They might be the next Stevie Fast. That started out in a street style car It just kept getting faster as they could.
1: And, and we've seen that a lot on, on the, you know, the heads up side with with NMRA and NMCA. You know, you take Limited Street, you know, and you look at, you know, qualifying list for Limited Street, and, gosh, I think there might be one person or two people, that have ever raced heads up before they stepped into Limited Street. And they were all streetcar people, you know, either a true street car or an index car that decided, Hey, I want to go faster. I want to, you know, do some class racing. And, you know, this, this was a step that they could, you know, get into with their existing vehicle with, you know, a new engine combination. And, uh, and, and it's great. I mean, you look at Samantha Moore and what she's done, it's just been uh, you know, fantastic. I, you know, she, she took her street car and now she, you know, she turned into a race car and, but, you know, there's no doubt she's a better racer, smarter, and, uh, you know, very, very highly motivated person, but she's done a fantastic job with it. You know, Chad Wendell is another one, a great example of an index racer who stepped into the heads upside. So, you know, having that opportunity for, for racers to, to transition for those who want to get serious, you know, we offer that, but if you just want to be the, the, the chill streetcar guy, by all means, we've, we, you know, we've got a great programs for, for you to fit into in a lot of variety. You know, I think, uh, you know, the hemi stuff it just uh, that market just it just keeps on giving so you know we've we're at norwalk next week at summit motorsports park with the nmca all american nationals i think we have 88 hemi cars signed up for next week i mean it's just uh it's, it's great it's great to see it it's great to see all the demons it's great to see scat packs you know these guys you know we've got uh, someone who helps them who, you know if you've never drag race before we've got someone that's there to, to help say hey you know we'll answer your questions we'll you know, take the intimidation factor out of it and uh and I think we're bringing a lot of people to the sport. It's, it's been fun.
0: Well, we're going to take a quick commercial break here. And when we come back, we're going to talk radial racing and what we think's going on. So we'll take a quick commercial break here on the Dragzine Podcast. We'll be right back. Mosier Engineering has been racing across five decades and through three generations of family. We have also been supporting sportsman ranks since the beginning with our lightning-fast two-day turnaround time. Everything we make from axles, rear ends, suspension, brakes, And more made right here in the USA with one goal in mind, so you can win. To learn more, check us out online at MosierEngineering.com. All right, we're back. And Mike, we've talked about streetcar racing. We've talked about all kinds of different stuff. And we, we kind of briefly touched on radial racing. And something I've noticed, I don't know if you've noticed it, but it seems like there's a flattening in the curve, to use a COVID term, if you will, with radial racing. It, like... It, it doesn't seem like it has as much pop as it had. Like the car counts aren't as big. Um, I, I don't know what it is. You know, kind of radio versus the world is hurting a little bit. Do you think it's due to maturity? Is it something that people can't get parts? You know, uh, w- what do you think's going on?
1: I, I think it's a little bit of everything. Um, I think there's uh, a maturity level to like every heads up group faces it. You know, you do it long enough and. The people who are there for the party, the people who are there just be like, oh yeah, you know, this is you know, we'll go down and have some fun. Maybe, you know, maybe they were competitive years ago, but they stuck with it when they didn't become competitive. You know, though, you know, those racers tend to fall off or get distracted. You know, where where it's, you know, hey, you know, no prep kings is is the big thing. You know, so maybe you'd lose some there. You know, maybe you lose some to, you know, uh, limited drag radio, right? So if you remember, limited drag radio was formed when. You know, Radioverse the World really, you know, shot up, you know, with the pro mods and some of the higher end combinations where LDR was designed to kind of pull it back a little bit. You know, the traditional 484 bore space big block, you know, a, a smaller turbochargers and kind of back off that, you know, the, the, the unlimited side of it and make it a little bit more affordable to use the parts you had and you know, maintenance was, you know, a bit less, you know, at the time. You know, now we're seeing a little bit drag rail get really intense, but, you know, the, the concept was there. So it was like, OK, so the guys that were the racers that, that maybe couldn't keep up with, you know, the Stevie Fast, the Melanie Salemi's, and some of those other higher end, you know, they, they, they found another place to race and they, they dropped into that. And uh, so I think you're seeing a lot of it. And then there's the, the park stuff, right? I mean, I know we've lost probably six or seven racers per event. I would say easy to part supply problems on the heads up side. And, uh, you know, it, it may not sound like a lot, but when you start to, you know, look at a big picture and part supply is a big problem in, you know, in our industry. Yeah, that's like,
0: I, I've been trying to wrap my head around what's going on because I've been to a few different events and it's like, you know, it, it's almost like the car counts have just been kind of weird and all over the place and I, I couldn't figure out and I've been trying to wrap my mind around whether it was, you know, part stuff, guys getting tired of it guys not wanting to deal with the rules. I mean, you see a lot of banter and whatnot on social media about it. And I was just starting to kind of look at it as, you know, maybe it's starting to get to the point where either it's too expensive or too fast or a combination of both for some guys. And they just want to do something that's more fun.
1: Well, you know, again, it's, I think it's multiple reasons as to why. And um, when you look at where some of the fields are, you know, before you had, you know, this, this crazy attraction to a lot of pro mod racers who said, Hey, I know, mean, I'll swap onto a set of radials, you know, set of shocks, you know, change some stuff around and, and go have some fun, you know, and those guys are just as competitive is, you know, as the dedicated radio racers. Then you look at it and you say, well, you know, they race pro mod, you know, every, every weekend or, you know, three times a month. And then three times a year or twice a year, they race a radio race and they look at it and say, well, these guys are all racing on dedicated radios all the time. Like how do you keep up with that? And, and that's, that's, I think is a hard part. So I think you lost, you know, some of the, you know, some of the racers who jumped in just for fun and it was a novelty deal that hey, I'll take a shot at this, then realize, Whoa, you know, these guys are, are real sharks. And, you know, then you had, like I said, the, the, the fun cars that couldn't keep up with the haves and have nots. And, uh, you know, and they, you know, if you if you take Pro 275 and LDR and, and look who's running that, he used to run, you know, RVW, I think you'd see a lot of names and say, okay, well, you know, if you put all three classes together and we're back out to a, an 80-car field in RVW. So I, I think you have to look at it as, as a couple different factors playing against it.
0: And I think, honestly, limited drag radial is probably overall one of the coolest classes in small tire racing because of, the variety, you know, you know, you got the devil horse nitrous car, you got stacks, twin turbo Monty, you got pro charge cars. And, you know, again, they look like real cars and it's cool to see stuff like that and fans can identify with it.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, you know, me personally, yes. I, I, you know, I mean, I love pro mod racing. Everybody knows me knows that, but you know, it's fun. And that's kind of what I do enjoy about no prep Kings in LDR and pro 275 is that, you know, those are the cars I enjoy watching. Um, and you know kind of grew up watching through the you know the early 90s when this whole scene really started to take shape and, and start to take off nationally so a lot of that you know reminds me reminds me of the old days and you know it's I guess that's an old guy uh, feeling at this point but uh but yeah I mean it's uh you know they're, they're fun I mean I think you know they've got great character uh, you know and uh, you know, the Malibu, I mean, you know, Jason Carter and Mark Mickey's Malibu. I mean, that's uh, iconic. I, I love that car. I was disappointed when they put it up for sale. But, you know, those are the cars I, I tend to gravitate towards.
0: Yeah, yeah. The, I'm, I'm right there with you as far as like the old school door cars. I Like you know, like I said, I'm I think I'm in the same vein with, you know, Love and Pro Mod too, in a Pro Mod setting. Pro Mod right. on radials, I'm not, I, I'm lukewarm on that. But legit cars that you can look at them and they look like something that you could pull from like, you know, like a mid a mid-90s kind of look where it's you know, they look like the car they're supposed to look like. You know, I'm perfectly fine with you know the action being a little bit slower, but with the cars looking right and being competitive and yeah and getting down the track all the time.
1: Yeah. I mean it you know I don't know about getting down the track. I mean I think that's kind of what I enjoy about small tire racing is that challenge and and seeing uh, the racers who who step into that challenge and can navigate, you know, the hard track on on a on a hot sunny day, you know, and it, it, to me that's always been the the, the epitome of small tire racing, which is why the, the back of the track I do enjoy. You know, my friend Carlo and Manny went went down to that dig or die, and you know, I was blowing up their phones just to to see what was going on, and uh, because it it is it is fun to you, you know forces these guys to have to think differently and. Adapt to something they've never done before, right? That's always been been the lore of our outlaw style racing was doing something that's never been done before.
0: Have you seen any in person the PDRA their uh, slick tire small class that pro street deal?
1: Oh yeah, it's great. I mean, you know, but again, it's it's a full body car. Um, you know, started off as an OEM style vehicle. You know, and uh, they looked the part. And uh, you know, it's a uh, it's like outlaw ten five.
0: Yeah, I went to the Norwalk race, the PDRA race, and that. That was a good show, front to back, cars constantly going down the track. You know, there wasn't a lot of, you know, the, the god-awful radial tire, reverse rotating, screeching noise, a lot of track prep. There's always action going on. And those cars, it was impressive to watch because most of them all got down the track. There was some fast, some going faster than others. There's a little bit of sketchiness, but it was like I said, it reminded me of the old school Outlaw Ten Five Freak Show stuff. It, it was, it was awesome to watch.
1: So about, uh, I guess, over the winter was I had an op-ed column in Fastest Streetcar magazine talking about um, Pro Street. And, uh, you know, I think it might have been before PDRA had coined, you know, their, their category as Pro Street. But, it, you know, it, it, I related everything back to the original Pro Street movement, you know, with Tony Christian and, and when he had the 57, you know, Stan Shaw's old car, um, you know, uh, Pat Musi's Popeye. And, you know, just how NPK is really, you know, gravitated to that style car, even though they're pro level built, but they're still look the part, right? They're still that pro street car. And I said, you know, when you walk into a chassis shop, you say, I'm going to build a pro mod car. And they say, okay, they know exactly what you're talking about. I'm going to build a pro mod car. Okay. It's this, this, and this. Okay. So what class do you run? You're going to run, you know, NHRA pro mod. We're going to build it this way. You're going to build a blower car or a turbo car or a nitrous car. We're going to build it this way. Are you going to do, you know, an NMCA or a PDRA class, you know, and they tailor it to a specific version of ProMod, but you don't have that on kind of the Outlaw 10.5 style vehicle or, or no prep King style vehicle. So what are they, you know, in my mind, they're Pro Street, right? I mean, that's their stock length, you know, plus or minus one inch from a factory wheel, wheelbase. Uh, most of them were built off factory bodies or, you know, close enough replicas. And I, you know, I think that's, you know, the, the, the phrase pro street has never been coined for drag racing. So you could walk into a shop and say, I want to go pro street racing, or I want to build a pro street car. It's like, okay, pro 275 would be a pro street car. NPK would be a pro street car. LDR would be a pro street car. You know, obviously PDRA pro street, you know, outlaw 105, whatever's still out there would be this quote unquote pro street car. And I, and I think, you know, just my warped sense of, uh, thought process, you know, like I, I think what hurts kind of some of the scene is that you you walk in you say pro mod and you can fit all these other classes, but what do you do? You don't, you, you know, you walk in and say, you want to build a pro two seventy five car, but that same car could be used in all these other disciplines. It's still legal. And, uh, you know, I, and so it was my ploy to say, we should be calling these pro street cars and, uh, it's that real look that I think a lot of us gravitate towards is out there. It's very much alive.
0: Yeah, totally. It's, it's really cool to see that kind of the, that look, the look of those cars, you know, like uh, the old Brown sugar Mustang, like that car is just, Oh, it it's perfect. Chef's kiss. Perfect. Then you got kudo with that, you know, sledgehammer truck with a blower on it. Like it's, it's that kind of variety I think that will Th- that will always draw fans. If you put yeah. those cars on a flyer and say, hey, we're going to have these here. They're going to be on slicks. They're going to do wild stuff. People are going to come check that out.
1: Yeah, no, I think, it's, I think it's great. I think there's a lot of great examples out there. Some, you know, some of these racers have built incredible cars with incredible detail. And it's, it's fun to see everybody's twist on it. You know, it's not a, a cookie cutter car, you know.
0: You know, mentioning that right there, cookie cutter twists on cars, we gotta talk about Sullivan's car too. That just popped (laughs) in. I finally saw that car in person up at Norwalk. And when my dad saw it on the at the NMCA race on the flow racing live feed, he was convinced that was a paint job. I'm like, no, dad, that's a wrap. Trust me, it's a wrap. I see that car in person. And unless you know where to look to tell it's a wrap, you can't tell it's a wrap. But even once you get past that, just That car alone is just, to me, that's, he should get 25 bonus points for every race he shows up to because it's not a cookie cutter car.
1: Yeah, and and, you know, it's uh, certainly not the first one we've seen, right? Johnny Rocca is the the most famous version of it. Uh, But um, no, I mean, Craig's always had a great style to him in in how he presents his, his racing programs, whether it was. His, uh, his super stock car, his stock car, his top dragster, and you know, obviously barn burner was just incredible detail and thought into it. And uh, you know, Elmer Romero is an extension of what he's built over the last ten or fifteen years that we've known him. Um, all of his style, all of his uh, you know flair, and uh, he he worked with the right partners to pull it off. You know, you could tell that. Uh, Larry Jeffers really fed off of, you know, the Cholo concept and, and it was fun, you know, and kryptonite Customs the same way, you know, those guys always produced fantastic wraps and, you know, their installation is fantastic. Like you said, you, you can't even tell with perfect seams, and, you know, everything lines up magnificently, but the detail into in which they took it and, and everybody has, you know, that he has worked with has fed off his enthusiasm, his excitement, and produce this, this incredible car. I mean, we, we had an opportunity to to really spend the whole day with him before Michigan, going through the car. Kevin Diassi, who just knocked it out of the park with the with the photo shoot, um, checking out the details, and and really having an opportunity to soak in what it what you know they they pulled off, and uh, and to keep it a secret in this day and age to to have that to where nobody has seen the car you know, publicly anyway. Um, and it, it didn't never got out there on the internet and Craig did a a great job in controlling that story. You know, I was worried, you know, he was signed up on Tuesday for the test session for the NMCA race. And it was like, man, you know, someone's just going to snap a shot of this thing and just post it to Facebook. And then that's it. Like Craig's whole buildup is going to be ruined. And, you know, and everybody respected his, you know, his wishes of not to put it out there. And, you know, they could take all the pictures they want. Just don't, don't send them out and keep it down low. And it, it worked out really well. And, uh, you know, we shot, we shot it Wednesday night before, you know, we opened the gates and, you know, Kevin spent the entire night editing this thing. I mean, he went to sleep, I think it was like three forty five in the morning and we just worked all night to get, get, get it ready for, for a launch at, at 7.00 AM. It was fun. And
0: off of that as well, I saw a couple of really cool pictures in your guys' coverage that to me summed up how pro mod should be, and this is what I think that MCA does right. You had Craig's car, and I saw in the same picture. I think he was lined up against Randy Adler, and then I think Chip King's Mustang was there, and then there was another non-typical looking pro mod. Like that right there is what pro mod needs to go back to—not cookie cutter cars, just like all these different deals. I'm like that to me. That's what made that that. That's what make, would make Promod awesome.
1: I, you know, I, I, I appreciate you giving us credit for that, but it's the racers who do it, not us. <laughs> They're the ones who build the cars. They're the ones. Um, you, you guys give choose that the platform it. for. It. <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah, we exactly. And uh, you know, I, I think you know, you look at Chip King's car, which, um, gosh, I forget who the owner was. You know, another one-off body. Uh, the guy was, you know, a Mach One fan of, of that generation. And like its car. Yes, Leggett. There you go. Terry Leggett. Yep. And uh, yeah, it's fun. I mean, it, it's a blast. Um, you know, pro mod to me are, are, is that exactly like you said, just a unique um, kind of just over-exaggerated looking vehicles, you know, with the big tabletop wings and and just this this crazy look to it. And, you know, yeah, there's some part of me that, that I look at, uh, you know, especially on the NHRA side, because it's so serious, you know, they're all late model Camaros for the arrow reasons. And you know, everyone builds a 69 Camaro. and So I would love to see more variety, but I, I get to where it's, it's difficult and expensive and you have to have a, a, a serious passion to be different, um, to pull it off.
0: I give the NHR guys a pass to a point because that when you're racing quarter mile at that level, I mean, you have to have something, that honestly is gonna be predictable and safe. You know, let, let, let's just put that out there now. And those Camaros, there's a reason why they use those cars is because they're stable and safe going what, almost well,
1: miles I, I, you know, I, I think calling them stable and safe, um, they all reason. are, they all are, right? I mean, they're, they're all stable and safe. I don't think there's one body that's, that's worse than another. But there's the aero advantage. And I remember we did a a story on aerodynamics uh, probably about a year and a half, two years ago. And I believe it was Bickle who had said that when a guy comes in, he's basically asking just how serious are you? You know, if you like the style, then the 69 Camaro is great. But, you know, I think that the the late model Camaro was, gosh, I mean, it's a couple faster. It was like he had a time on it. I don't know if it was 01 or 05 quicker and it's like well you know at that level you can't give up that one i mean that's qualifying or not qualifying that's number 1 or number 2 you know which side of the ladder are you on and so yeah so you know as the quarter mile stuff definitely becomes more critical on aero um and it sounds like there is a legitimate advantage to the later model vehicles
0: yeah yeah that i believe it's uh there's a certain mile an hour advantage too and that's why a few of the guys even moved from the was at the C7s back to the older Camaro's because there's there's some advantages there too which again that that's what I think elevates NHRA Pro Mod that step above everything else like why it's so fast and so so gnarly with what those guys
1: do. Yeah, and it's great. And it's also the access to technology, right? So I don't know, 15 years ago most people didn't couldn't put a vehicle into you know into into a a wind tunnel and now they can, you know, there's, you know, several places I believe in, in around the Charlotte area that, that you can rent and put a vehicle in. Um, I think there's in Michigan, there's, you know, third parties that'll do aero work for you. So I think the opportunity to access technology. So it's, you have, you know, the chassis builders experience, plus now this technology and all this computer programming that you can look at it and scale it and, and do it properly.
0: We could do an entire show just on pro mod, technology <laughs> like what goes into it i think but we'll, we'll save that for another time but technology wise what we can talk about is you know electric vehicles the evs are they're 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 here they're coming they're growing in the non-performance world they're getting shoved down
1: our throat um which that's another that's a could be a whole show in of itself yeah. But yeah
0: and what we'll talk about here is I want to get your take on the potential and what you see performance EVs, where that's going to go. Because we saw, I did a story on that Plaid Tesla that went like nine, what was it? Nine, eight, nine, 20s, nine, 20, yeah, yeah. 18 from the factory, which is just, <laughs> that's pretty awesome. What do you th- like looking in your crystal ball? What do you think is going to happen with EV technology on the performance side of things?
1: Um, how,
0: I, how do you even approach that?
1: Uh, No, I I think it's a great question. I think there's, um, there's a lot of different avenues we can go down um, or rabbit holes in in talking about it. I I think, um, you know, from a strictly performance standpoint, there's no doubt that EV is far superior and and there's going to be a lot of people are going to be angry. I say that, and and I'm not saying that because I like it, but uh, I mean, let's take RC racing. You know, every record for an RC car is held by an electric motor, not a, you know, not a nitro motor. And so I think if you look at it from that standpoint, this is something that, that you know, that hobby has been doing for 40 years. And there, there's no doubt that EV performance does have an advantage in terms of pure performance. You know, Pike's Peak, you know, who was it? Was it Porsche? I think it was. Yeah. Who just absolutely crushed the Pike's Peak record with an EV car because the elevation didn't matter. Um, you know, bracket racing. You know, an EV should be better. You know, where I think drag racing kind of goes sideways on this is is in two forms. I think the current buyer right now for an electric vehicle most likely doesn't care about drag racing. That's not their cup of tea. You know, and I'm not to say that that nobody will do it. You know, there, there, I think there are there are EV. Uh, owners who, who do, who are involved, heavily involved in our industry. I mean, you know, Anderson Dick is one of them. Uh, Tom Tomlinson over at Holly. Um, you know, these guys are, are, are big Tesla fans and they're great pieces of technology, but, um, but for the the masses, like you're not going to go to a Friday night and have, you know, a quarter of the cars be EV right now. I, I just don't see that happening because I just don't think the current buyer is engaged in our sport. The other side of it in you know, I don't know. You know, could a drag strip even handle, you know, fifty or hundred, you yeah. know, EVs, you know, in the night? I mean, you know, some tracks we can't even get a cell service or, or, you know, internet access. And now everybody's gonna have a plug-in car. You know what? You know what does the infrastructure look like at, at a at a racing facility for an electric vehicle? You know, is that you know is that uh you know is that up to snuff and my gut feeling is telling me right now definitely not um so I, you know i think i think ev and drag racing is a, a great novelty I, you know ford is doing an incredible job with their cobra jet i think they're using it as a great marketing tool i think you know the electric copo a couple of years ago was was totally cool and it's fun to see you know tesla enthusiasts with this using Like Dodge, you know, the thing went 920s and it excited our whole market. It's like because now we have a relatable number of, well, the Tesla Plaid goes 920s. You know, there's a supercar that supposedly goes 8s. They've been testing an 870, 880 car. Um, You know, where we go from here, I don't know. You know, I I, I don't think you're buying a Tesla Plaid. I, I know I am not buying a Tesla Plaid. And I'm certainly not buying a supercar. <laughs> so, I, you know, I don't, I don't know where we go from EV in the short term. In the long term, you know, who knows with uh, politics and the infrastructure in the country and just, uh, you know, everything that, that surrounds the difficulties of converting a, a fuel guzzling fleet of cars in the United States to all electric. I don't, I don't know where that goes.
0: If I had the money, I would 100% buy a Tesla Plaid right now. 100% EVs. I, I will, I've been saying this, I will go on the record to say it right now is that they fascinate me. Like I, i raced nitro RC cars. I remember when the big scale uh, li- lipo cars came on the market I drove one for the first time. I was like, this is a lot of fun, but with great power comes great responsibility. And the first time you rip one of those triggers and how quick and fast they accelerate my mind went to drag racing. I'm like, Oh my God all the cool stuff I could do with this car to a racetrack. I have a terrible idea that Scott Parker shakes his head at me all the time that he, I think he's terrified. I might find a way to make this happen. I want to EV swap a Mustang and build something like that just to show it can be done and have fun with it. Like you said, there's, there's challenges (laughs) involved, but in my mind, I would love to build an EV SN 95 Mustang just to see what can be done with it.
1: I saw, a, uh, I saw a vehicle uh, this, this past weekend on social media where I believe it was an S187 Mustang that had a Tesla drivetrain swapped into it. And I, I know on the, on the swap side, you're starting to see like Icon Vehicles is offering you know, EV options on their, on their awesome line of vehicles. Uh, you know, they were at, at uh, SEMA three, maybe four years ago with, uh, with that derelict style um, 40s sedan um, with, with an EV in it. Uh, I think there is a concern on the aftermarket as to, you know, you've got, it it could be dangerous, right? Like uh, working with with high power electricity is not, uh, you know, not always a do-it-yourself type of project. And I think there is, there is some concern that, you know, swapping, could, uh, you know, there needs to be a guideline and there needs to be, you know, an education on safety for that sort of stuff as well.
0: Oh, 100 uh, percent. Electricity, when it bites, it hurts. And the more power <laughs> you put behind, like.
1: I, I don't think I don't think hurt would be uh, would be an emotion that uh, that you would feel anymore, because I think it would be the end yeah, the yeah. type of, of power these guys have. Yeah, so, yeah, that, that's, yeah, yeah. that's, that's an understatement, <laughs> too. understatement to say the least. <laughs> yeah.
0: you're, you're definitely going to you're going to have a bad time. And I, I think that that's a 100% a valid concern. And again, it, it just, to me, it adds to the intrigue on where this is going to go because hot rodders are going to do hot rod things. You right. know, it, it, you do, our industry and our people are the last ones you want to try to corner and say, well, we're going to take this away from you and you can't have performance cars. Well, some dude in Alabama is going to go, hold my beer, watch this, and take a Tesla and make it into a race car. And I'm, I'm cautiously optimistic we're going to see some good things come out of this.
1: Right. And, you know, I, I think right now um, you, you look from from an after pure aftermarket standpoint and, it, you know, the, the dynamic of it does change considerably because you say, okay, well, what can you do to an EV? You know, well, you've got a controller, right? So the controllers is going to be a, a big topic or a big modification. Um, then, you know, what else? You know, suspension, there, there's really no drivetrain. Um, so tires, and that's, you know, so I, I think from an industry standpoint, I think we have to be, you know, really cognizant of, you know, where does the aftermarket go from here on the CV side, you know, but then you look at carburetors and, you know, carburetors while EFI is, has made a huge jump in the last 10 years, you know, people still use carburetors, people still tinker with them, people still utilize them, um, you know, NASCAR, when did NASCAR switch over in NHRA Pro Stock? I mean, you know, what was that? It was less than 10 years ago. So I, I think there will always be a place for fossil fuel burning race engines. And even the streetcar market, I think you're going to have a lot of holdouts. And, and, and there's a lot of vehicles on the road. It's just, you know, where are we in, in 20, 30, 40 years? Exactly. As an, as an industry. I don't know if I'll be around in 40 years, but... Uh, <laughs> You know but, but we do have to have to look at that you know and what is you know even on on the repair side you know there's a lot less parts to repair on an ev car so what's the repair industry look like i mean i, I think you know as a country there's there's a, a lot of change that would be taking place to to make this switch over to ev it's not as simple i think as people think
0: i 100 percent agree And we're going to take a commercial break here real quick. But when we come back, we're going to talk a little bit more NMCA, how COVID affected it, where it's going in the future, and a whole lot more. So stay tuned. Real quick commercial break here on the Dragzine Podcast. For serious LS engine builds that demand strength and durability under extreme operating conditions, look into CompCam's Race XD Bushed Solid Roller Lifters. With lightweight modular design and a proprietary bronze alloy roller wheel bushing race XD bushed solid roller lifters eliminate the most common cause of failure with a new oiling system that guarantees consistent roller wheel axle lubrication learn more at compcams.com the absolute leader in valve train technology. All right, we're back. And Mike, we've, we've talked about a wide range of different items here. And I wanted to get into, you know, you, you're part of the NMCA, Amari Family Pro Media. And, you know, we worked together on, you know, over your shoulder, the burnout show during COVID and, you know, how, you know, the world was an interesting place during those times. And I'm a firm believer in that you need to learn lessons from things that have happened. And a lot of people could go to the negative side of COVID, but I think that there's a positive side of what businesses and organizations could have learned from COVID. What did you guys learn from COVID that you can apply now going forward?
1: Uh, A lot of stuff. Um, You know, ProMedia is, is, uh, we're known for our events and that's our our core product, but we're also a media company as well. So I think on on both sides of the business, um, there were a lot of, uh, a lot of lessons learned. And, I, and what COVID provided us was to ta- the time to figure it all out. Because, it, you know, once this thing starts moving, you know, it's it's hard to get the train to stop. And, you know, you've got your next event or your next season. There's always something. And we never had an opportunity to hit the pause button and address, you know, a lot of topics that we've talked about in internal meetings who are never able to execute. Um, you know, in, in one of them on the media side or which relates to the event side, you know, was, you know, we've always wanted it to update our websites and we took a deep dive into the websites and you know, content wise, we were very comfortable with what we produce in terms of racer news, communicating about the series, communicating about a lot of different, you know, whether it's parking and stacking, all of these bits of, of, of communication with, with customers, whether it be a fan or a racer or a sponsor and but how do we deliver that through our websites and so it took us you know an opportunity to sit back and look and say okay this is what we like this is what we don't like and then who's going to be our partner to you know to hire to to revamp all of our websites to communicate better how can we do it better how can we you know produce you know the similar level of content but present it in in a cleaner fashion more user-friendly fashion, make it easier for people to find the information. And I think that that took us, you know, a little while the downtime to have that opportunity to recognize that and, you know, interview companies because we have a complete custom platform and find the right company that understood what we did and what we're trying to do and accomplish. And, uh, you know, it's, you know, it's, it's a year in the making. I mean, it's not an overnight, you know, put something together on Wix and, and send it, you know, it's, uh, you know, so we, we found a great, great group to work with. And, uh, you know, we're almost there. I think we're going to launch in, in the fall, maybe after the seasons, I think is what we're looking at, hoping for. But, uh, you know, COVID gave us an opportunity to really take a deep dive and analyze, you know, our, our three websites and how we can do it better for our, our customers. And, uh, and that was, that was huge. Um, and it's something we're still working on today, but we didn't have the time before to do it. And now we did.
0: Yeah. And I, th- that's very interesting how you guys approach that. And I think it, it drives home the point that, you know, people only see the event and being part of the process of, you know, being a small part of an event process when we, you know, with speed video and flow racing, I understood that there's like so much more that goes on than just yeah. that. There's a lot more thinking that goes into it and that, you know, you it's, Time is a very precious item and you just don't have time to really think about how to change a lot of this stuff when you're moving at speed to get events done.
1: Right. And, and, that's, and that was, time was the biggest, you know, take a step back, think things through and analyze, you know, all aspects of the company because now we have the time to do it and we have the opportunity and you're never going to get this opportunity again, or at least we hope not. And uh, and that was that was a huge, I think, for us, uh, especially on the on the on the media side and content side, and then um, you know on the event side, the same thing, you know, which is all tied together. You know, how can we produce things better, quicker, uh, and and deliver that, you know, that content to our customers in a, in a more effective way? So, what's the message, and how do we deliver it? And uh, you know, and I think working with Raleigh on a lot of things, uh, we've got some some great you know, some, some great changes coming on how we deliver, you know, whether it be race schedules or, um, just bits, bits to make, you know, a, a racer and, and other customers life easier when they, when they plan to attend an event.
0: Now on the racing side of things, you know, kind of, again, looking at the, the, the market and what's going on, do you guys see yourselves potentially adding subtracting classes in the future, you know, changing things up, you know, how do you guys approach that?
1: That, that um, you can talk about within reason, because I know that there's. <laughs> um, I mean, you know, it's it, it goes back to the maturity level. I think you know we're we're twenty two or twenty three years in business, so we've got a maturity level to where we've got an established and you know set of classes that we do try and try and uh, you know always tweak to keep relevant. Um, but we we also we're not afraid to do specialty stuff, and we are looking at a lot of different changes for next year in terms of of adapting to markets. Um, you know you know, not to say we, we had 540 cars at our last event. Like it's, you know, we're not, it's not like, uh, you know, we need too many changes. We, we do have, you know, very effective, I think, um, line to give a, a great variety. I think we definitely offer the most variety out of any racing group, your sanctioned promoter anywhere, right? So you can, you could buy a car on Saturday morning, show up to our event and compete, or you can build a pro mod and show up on Saturday morning and compete. And I don't, there is, there is no other group in, in racing that, that offers that entry level and top door slammer in one event. So I think, you know, I think we've got a, a pretty good range that attracts a wide variety of, of competitors um, at, at all different levels of the sport. And that's, you know, that's, that's been our, our goal and, you know, a very inclusive, you know, don't be afraid to come out and race your vehicle, oh, you know, but also cater to a professional level, where a, a pro mod can come out and, you know, no when he's running, know when we're finishing and going into the weekend, knowing like, okay, we're going to be hitting the road, you know, by, by six or seven o'clock on a Sunday night and have a full event behind us.
0: And I think, you know, you mentioned the specialty event stuff. That's one of the cool things that I think that pro media does well is because there's always, you know, you're going to get X, Y, and Z classes, but then it's like, oh, what what what's going to be the the whipped cream or the sprinkles at this event? Whether it's nostalgia, super stock cars, small tire cars, is, is there a, a method to your madness on how you guys approach that?
1: Um, you, you know, we have the consistency side of it, to where we have our you know ten or eleven championship categories that's consistent. The true street side, where it's kind of a fit all the Hemi side, and uh, you know, and then we use especially on the Mustang side, you know, the opportunity to have specialty categories at some of our bigger events, not every event and not be a championship class to try and touch on, Hey, you know, we just have, you know, Mustang guys who want to come out and make runs, we got a class for you, you know, you don't, maybe, maybe true street doesn't fit you. And so we're, we're, we we use those as kind of the special forces to tailor, you know, to a specific niche or a hot segment. And then when that dies out, which they always do, then move on to something different and, and have that opportunity because, you know, our goal is to get as many people in the gate, have some fun and experience our brands.
0: And, you know, the All American Nationals, you're going to have the Donkmaster guys there. And I saw them up at, you know, the night under fire. And, you know, we have an article coming out on the series he's putting together. Those cars are legit. Like it is, I, I love them. It's, It's
1: crazy. So so if if you rewind the show, you know, half hour, 45 minutes ago, whatever, you know, what did I say that, that small tire racing is right. That, that the ability to adapt to, you know, not much traction. Well, what's Donk? It's the same thing. And, And Sage has helped, you know, you know, Donk drag racing has been around, but Sage is that charismatic individual who's kind of put his arms out and kind of pulled them all in and, uh, you know, you know, just, a, uh, uh, an in, incredible enthusiastic person for this type of racing. And, and uh, we're excited to have them. I mean, it's different. I know, uh, some of our more traditional, you know, competitors kind of were like, what's this all about? And it's like, well, think about it. this guy has a turbocharged LS, you know, and his goal is to get down the track as fast as possible. On a tire that it should not be done, right? What did we talk about earlier is, you know, doing something that shouldn't be done. And uh I think at the core of it, I, I really believe that what he his goals are is the core of you know the outlaw NMCA style racing or what we began with in the early 90s is do something different that someone looks at it and is like, that shouldn't be possible. And uh it, it'll be fun. I mean, he's he's got his Skittle pack that's coming up, it'll it'll be a blast.
0: I, I was talking with him and checking out some of these cars, and it was one of the, the, the green Caprices that they had. Wild-looking hood exhaust, screamer pipe coming out of the center, pops the hood on it. Mind you, the car is still 100% street legal. It's got AC, makes 1,400 horsepower, and just, dry, like you said, it drives like a dream, and it's on these giant tires. And my mind starts thinking, I've seen this before with some of these cars, You know, people look at it; they just see the wheels and they think it's ridiculous. Watch these cars when they run on a normal like tire combo, and they are impressive. I've seen that happen, and it's it's interesting to me. It's really really interesting, and more power to them for trying to pull this off.
1: I mean, it's it's great. I mean, big wheel racing is fun. Um, The personalities are are very dynamic. Oh, huge The, the vehicles. I mean, if you were to put blinders on and just concentrate on that that the engine compartment. You know, it's the same turbos, it's the same cylinder heads, it's the same intake manifolds, it's the same pistons, the same rods, the same crank, and you know, here's a group that's putting more excitement into drag racing and bringing out new competitors into organized drag racing, and I think it's a a fantastic movement. Um, You know, hey, look, it's not for everybody. You may you may not enjoy it, but you have to, I I believe, respect it, and you know, and, and realize like, hey, they are are doing something fun and fast, and really, there's no. There's no rule book or not even rule book, but the way of doing things, right? Like you build a a small tire car today. It's like, okay, you go buy this shock, this tire, this extension, you know, and you plot a curve on, you know, your power management, and you're kind of in the ballpark. You know, you go over to big wheel racing with Sage and his crew, and it's like, okay, there's really no playbook on on how to take 1400 horsepower and stick it on this tire. And, and that's fun to see them figuring it out and being inventive and, uh, and a challenge.
0: Yeah. It's, it's cool to see people still doing stuff like that. And their attitude is like, if you don't like it, that's fine. Whatever. We like what we doing. Right. We're going to do what we want to do.
1: Whatever. Again, they're, they're, they're putting cars down drag strip, putting fans in the stands and uh, you know, that that's good for, for our entire industry. Yes. Now, Mike, our,
0: our time here is coming to a close, and I like to always have fun with my guests, throw different questions at them. I don't remember which ones I've thrown at you before, but this time I'm going to give you the option to build the ultimate drag racing series. You can pick any cars, any classes, any era. What's it going to look like? What are you going to build?
1: Ooh, Well, I'm already in a drag racing series. Um, is, this, is this bad to say that I'm actually big into off-road racing right now in the Baja 1000? No, hey if, Is you, that... <laughs> hey,
0: if you, if you, if you want to put that series together, I will. Open I don't. Uh,
1: yeah, I, it's uh, it's it's hard. Um, you know, my my uh, my thoughts always wander every day, right? And and uh, you know, I, I, another op-ed column that I did in Fastest Street Car, I did talk about um, kind of you know the fast series cars. Are you familiar with those guys? Oh, yes. Um, so I, you know, in, in my column, my recent column, I talked about building like a, a what would be a, a fast series for a traditional 5.0 Mustang from like New York, New Jersey. And it was, uh, essentially a, a play off their concept, but you had to have like, you know, well drag lights, which Kyle Fickler will make fun of me over that, uh, you know, an S trim supercharger. And then externally, the engine would have to look factory. Um, so kind of, uh, not exactly stock like the fast cars, but, uh, but stock for what a, you know, a 1990s version of a Mustang was with, uh, you know, an S trim supercharger from Vortec and, uh, kind of looked the part. And I, I think that would be, that would be fun. I, you know, I, I, it'd probably be like a nine second class or, you know, I don't know, but, uh, but yeah, it'd be, it'd be fun to, to kind of build it retro style, you know, long runner intake, um, and, and that sort of thing.
0: Think about this for a second, Mike. You know, you got the nostalgia Nitro car. Someday there might be nostalgia Mustang racing.
1: Maybe. Like, Maybe. like the, it, it, it,
0: it could be that. You know, you could have a New York, New York stock class. You know, <laughs> we, we, we always say around here when people ask what's up with the car, oh, it's Columbus stock. And people knew that what kind of what that meant. So, it, you know, the, the, that could be the day where, we're, you know, we're the – white haired old men talking about back in our day, you know, point. Yeah. Every,
1: everybody's, everybody's looking at, uh, you know, RC component wheels and, and, uh, you know, all these other wheel companies. And I'm like, man, give, give me a set of centerline auto drags polished on a Fox body or, or a set of drag lights. And, and I'm happy. Yeah.
0: It, it's that, it's that, it's that look you grew up with,
1: you know? Yeah. Yeah. The fuel pressure gauge on the cow, you know, that's uh, always quintessential Mustang.
0: The the cruising spot down in college, it was always you know your your classic fox bodies rolling through with the, the weld drag lights, the big old thumping cam. Mind yep. you, they installed the cam. They never had the car tuned, but it sounded rowdy. And
1: well, they it- we couldn't tune them back then. It was uh, it was fuel pressure and uh, you know in, in your distributor, and that that's yeah. uh, that was your tune. You or you adjusted your your pro m mass air meter. You turned it to get a different signal, but uh, that was the extent of our tuning back in. Uh, back in the old days.
0: Yeah. Yeah. They're rolling through. So yeah, I definitely pick up what you're laying down there. And I think, <laughs> that I think there's a market there. Maybe, maybe you guys need to jump ahead of that <laughs> with, with the NMRE and start like grooming something towards that, you know, like a cross between what Queen Scott does with uh, the Sega class where it's, you know, really strict, like appearance rules and stuff like that. There's, there's a market there.
1: Well, I, you know, I, I joked at Mike Washington, who we, we, we collaborate on a lot of on a fun and stupid things together and, uh, I told him, you know, we've got pure evil, uh, I think it's engine 3.0 coming together. And I said, you know, after, after pure evil, I think, you know, I think we need to do this, this concept I threw out there and one of his rolling chassis, just to, just to do it, you know, not a class just, but just do it and say, Hey, we're showing up here. You know, if you want to be an idiot like us, come have some fun.
0: That is, yeah, that, that's my sort of like kind of bad idea, fun stuff. You know, this is what we're going to do. Come, come join our merry band of bad decisions and come yeah. have fun.
1: Exactly. I think it would be a good decision, not necessarily a bad one. <laughs>
0: well, I've got this theory about building race cars that I've learned. Is they always start out that it's going to be a good decision. And by the time you're done, you're like, why, why am I doing this to myself? What, what, what is wrong with me?
1: You need to build different cars then.
0: <laughs> like my, my problem is just getting, you know, I made the mistake of trying to build two, one project car during COVID that turned into two project cars because parts availability and everything else. It's like, yeah, you get to the point where, you know, an engine is sitting a few hours away because there's not enough truck drivers to get your engine to you. You know, it's, it's a a lot of fun. I love it. Look at, look at my smile. A lot of fun.
1: (laughs) You're wearing a hat. Otherwise I say you have some gray hair.
0: Yeah, I have no hair. (laughs) I started out, I used to have hair down to my shoulder, and, you know, now I'm bold as all get out. Well, Mike, our our time here has come to an end, and I like to give my guests their opportunity, of course, to pull the old John Force and plug sponsors and tell people where to find them at. So the floor is yours, my friend, tell people where they can find you, what you got going on, and all that fun stuff.
1: Well, I mean, you know, obviously nmradigital.com and uh, nmcadigital.com, you know, check, check them out. Uh, We've got uh, two events left on the NMCA. We've got, uh, you know, our NMRA World Finals in Holly Intergalactic Ford Festival, which is going to be just the most incredible event, which we added off-road racing as well at top of the drifting and the drag racing. So it's a, it's a complete motorsport mayhem. And I, I highly suggest it. Whether you're a Ford fan or not, it's it's a very unique experience um, at Bowling Green, and uh, we're going to use the property very uniquely this year, and it'll be uh, it'll be fun.
0: I can attest that the intergalactic deal is a lot of fun. Went last year for the first time, even during COVID, it was packed out. A lot of really cool stuff to check out. So that definitely gets the old drag scene stamp of approval
1: for people to check out. Cool. Well, we'll see you guys at the races. Yes,
0: and I've I've got to thank all my sponsors, of course. Uh performance distributors, airflow research, pro charger, holly, msd, flow master, engineering, comp cams, elderbrock, fuel air spark technology, manly, manly j e pistons, and dart. Mike, talk about come to the races. Hopefully, God willing the creek don't rise. I'll have my pile at the uh at the NMCA finals, but uh Say some small motorsports pairs for me that we can get this car done. (laughs)
1: Well, good luck, man. We'll see you out there. See you soon, Mike. All right, man.